Hello and welcome to the Open Talent Report. This is the podcast where we discuss the emerging trends in labor law, employment law, independent work, gig work, which many organizations are wrestling with due to the growth of the open talent and gig economy. I'm your host, Connor Heaney. When I'm not hosting podcasts, I'm the Managing Director of CXC Global in EMEA, and we are the intermediary between platforms and workers seeking to compliantly connect both. And I'm delighted to have as our guest on today's show, Dutch attorney at law and partner at Lexens, Lucas Stirrup. Lucas is an expert on all matters of Dutch employment law. Uh, we've seen some huge changes in Dutch employment law over the last five to six years. And what we want to do today is shine a light on those. So Lucas, a very warm welcome to you. Um, how are you keeping? How are you doing? Yeah, many thanks uh, for the introduction, uh, Connor. Very happy to be on this uh, podcast. Um, yeah, do, doing doing good, uh, considering uh, the, the circumstances under which we have all been living over the past year. Um, yeah, no, it's... Um, it has been an interesting time also from uh, from the employment uh, law perspective. Um, but personally, um, yeah, I'm doing quite good. Good. Well, that, that's what I like to hear, Lucas. And um, I've enjoyed our conversations over the years. So, Lucas, how did you become an employment lawyer? What 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 attracted you to employment law in particular? Yeah, well, that's, that's actually a good question. As uh, when I started doing my, uh, my um, education, my um, university studies in law, I didn't particularly already have in mind that I would go uh, become an employment lawyer. <laughs> um, uh, I think my interest in employment law started when I took uh, employment law courses. Uh, and then I, when I went to a law firm to do an internship, um, well, I think what particularly uh, attracts me to employment law that it is, uh, well, it, it can be a, a somewhat complex uh, matter, but you also are, um, you know, involved in, in people's daily lives. It has a high impact on, on, on people themselves. And at the same time, it, it, it is a topic that is of great importance to, to companies. So this, I think those both parts um, of, of that matter, I guess, make it yeah, fairly interesting and, and dynamic topic in law. Yes, I agree. And Lucas, you, you've been um, commentating and I suppose advising uh, companies and employees on, on some of the, the changes that we'll discuss in a moment. But Lucas, if I could ask you, what, what is your view on the, the gig and platform economy? And do you think the Dutch law offers sufficient protection for workers in the Netherlands? So what, if I could give you an example, so let's say um, Uber or Delivery or, or or large platform companies like that that are engaging workers to provide services, do you think um, the the Dutch legislation has kept up with that and and provides sufficient protection for those workers? Well, yeah, I guess that that's the, the million dollar question also in, as as it regards the uh, the whole of the gig economy. Um, and the short answer, I guess, is, is obviously no, because Dutch employment law in, it, in its essence uh, hasn't really changed over the past uh, 100 years, uh, 100 years. But um, and um, you particularly become particularly evident uh, with respect to the gig economy, where you have a you know, platform and a, uh, basically algorithms and dividing the work and, and the workers not really having a position that you could, could compare to normal entrepreneurs. Um, which puts them in a, in a very um, a difficult position if you compare them to employees that have a lot of rights. 
um, you know, whereas whereas the uh, the gig workers um, are are seen as entrepreneurs, um, but don't have any of the of the powers that come with it. So they they can't really negotiate their their fees. Um, they they don't, they can't um, determine uh, how they perform their work, etc. So it's it's a, it's it's um. A matter of um, you know uh, big discussion on how this should fit in into into the existing uh, legislation. Yes, and and look, it's just if we expand on that topic, what, what what is your view on how those workers should be treated? Do do you have any view on whether they should become almost a, a new category of employee or workers to give them sufficient protection? Yeah, I guess the, the question is whether you want to force uh, the companies to change their their, their platform uh, platforms to fit the old legislation, or whether you can um, come up with something new that addresses the concerns that relates to these workers. Um, um, yeah, so uh, so so you come back to your your question. What was your question? Yeah. Sorry. Mike. My question is, do you think that there's any legislation that could or should be introduced to protect those gig workers, particularly look at the lower paid ones? Because as you rightly mentioned, they've got no bargaining power and really no choice about yeah. which, which job they do. Yeah, I guess so. So there, there are, as I was saying, there are, there are two ways you can go about it. You can you can either designate them as being em employees, and that will, will bring forth, of course, with it uh, all uh, all rights that employees have. But it would also make it a lot more ex uh, expensive, uh, I guess, for the for the companies, and also in the end for the end users. Yeah. Uh, the question is whether some middle ground can be found in which you do give them uh, certain uh, rights and protections uh, that fit uh, the, the the gig economy. Um, it, it, the risk, of course, here is that, the, especially, I guess, you see that with Uber and, and perhaps also with Deliveroo and, and these type of companies, that uh, once they start competing with each other, uh, it's basically, of course, a race to the bottom as regards to what the, the workers will be earning. Um, and, and particularly on that in that area, I, I believe that some form of protection is uh, highly welcome. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's interesting, Lucas. What we've seen with, let's say, for example, Just Eat or uh, StrokeTakeaway.com, they, they've adopted a slightly different approach compared to um, delivery and, and Uber on a general basis. What they're essentially saying is we will treat workers um, as outsourced employees according to the local labour law. Um, so let's say in the UK, there's a worker status, uh, th sorry, there's a status for employees known as worker status which gives the labor market flexibility, but, uh, but also gives the employees or those workers some limited employment rights um, around things like holiday pay, pension, access to that. And JustEatTakeaway.com seemed to have had the first mover advantage in providing those sort of benefits and employment structure for workers. And their thought process, um, from what I understand, Lucas, is that they're actually affording those workers uh, some rights, which is good. But two, it gives them a competitive advantage um, when compared to other competitors to attract that talent because that talent is now being paid properly. They've got uh, some employment rights, albeit not full ones, and they've got that additional protection that they don't currently have. Um, 
do you think there's an opportunity in the Netherlands for that that way of working, that sort of third category, which is in between a worker and a contractor or independent contractor? Yeah, I mean, uh, companies can, of course, de decide to provide for an alternative way of, of uh, the, the, they will be approaching that. But of course, the, the existing legislation doesn't really cater for that. So um, what the, the problem, um, I believe that the company like that will be um, um, finding it itself in is that um, currently the law says you're either an employee or you're an independent contractor. Um, so if you if you go as a company yourself, uh, finding a, a way to, to find middle ground, there's a risk that you know the the if, if it comes in front of a court or, or perhaps for tax purposes, it, it will be seen as an employment relationship. Um, so that, that that is a thing I think companies should be mindful of, of, of when, when you are devising such an alternative route. Um, because if in the Netherlands, once you are an employee, you get all of the rights and all of the uh, protection that comes with it. There's not there's basically a black and white white um, situation. And there there have been some movements in finding ways to uh, to accommodate for that. And for example. One of one of the developments is that the government wanted to uh, provide for a minimum uh, wage for for independent contractors. That has not come true, and there there has been also some alternative movement uh, where where um, independent contractors unionize. So they 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 try to um, negotiate uh, as a group certain conditions. And that that could be uh, a viable way, um, but but still, uh, it's um, yeah, it, it is under the current legislation is difficult. So uh, I actually believe that you know the unfortunately governments are, are particularly slow in 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 the um, you know following up on on such changes. But I think it is is very much necessary to you know to allow for companies to to find such a, a middle a middle route. Um, which provides sufficient um, protection and benefits to the employees and, and at the same time retains their competitive position. Yeah, I, I think that's that's really the, the conundrum, Lucas, isn't it? So how, how do you keep flexibility and yeah. choice in the labour market for the higher paid workers, but put sufficient protections in place for the lower paid workers? And, and that's a really difficult one. And and uh, I think the the proposal um, in the Netherlands around um, the minimum um, uh, hourly rate for said said peers was a was a really innovative way to deal with this particular problem, um, Lucas. And that, I think that leads us nicely on um, to to my next question, Lucas. And I, I think it's fair to say that the Netherlands has been at the forefront in, in Western economies with regards to introducing legislation to regulate uh, freelancing or independent work or self-employed. So um, I, for, for those listeners, look, Lucas, that aren't familiar with the Netherlands, could you explain about the DBA uh, legislation, the model agreement, and whether it's been a success in terms of its implementation? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah I guess I agree that the Netherlands has been uh, fairly um, um, engaged in, in finding ways to accommodate for for the, the, the basic problem that is how do you make a distinction between a, an employee and a uh, independent contractor and the, the and, and one of the more important aspects thereof is that uh, that of course there is 
the an uh, independent contractor is treated di differently for tax purposes. Uh, and and lot, a big problem for companies was that if you hire a, a independent contractor and after five years, um, the, the tax authorities suddenly come to the conclusion that it's actually an employee with to pay wages over that period. And it's a it's a big liability. Yes. So the VET, the VET DBA was basically intended to accommodate for that uncertainty um, um, in, in which the, the Dutch tax authorities provided for template agreements, which con contained specific elements such as, you know, uh, there is no employer's control over the work um, and, and, and then you are allowed to work for other companies, such that there are certain elements included in those um, uh, um, template agreements. And the idea is, or the idea was, if you engage an independent contractor on the basis of that agreement, you have a fair amount of certainty uh, that the, uh, the, the nature of the relationship is actually uh, the, the one of the independent contractor and not of an employee. So that, that was the idea or, and the intention of the legislation. Um, but the, the, the problem is that it didn't take away the, the essence of the problem that if you look at how uh, employees and independent contractors, specifically you know, in certain um, sectors of the economy, how they perform their work, that the distinction is not as easily uh, made. Um, and in the end, um, the, 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 that meant that the VET DBA, uh, the DBA Act, didn't really provide the certainty uh, that, that the government was looking for. On the contrary, it were, there were very big discussions and big fears of, of companies uh, that, that they couldn't, wouldn't be able anymore to determine whether or not they were doing the right thing. Um, and that even in the beginning of the act of TBA led to companies stopping uh, to hire uh, independent contractors for a bit because they were quite afraid of the consequences. Of course. Um, yeah, and, and and ultimately the 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 enforcement of the the Act DBA was suspended. It's currently still suspended until October first, uh, two thousand twenty-one, this, this year. Uh, at which date the government has um, um, once again lived up to its uh, um, uh, evolutionary uh, activities. In that sense, they have now the new idea of. Of of um, implementing a, a web module uh, on the basis of which uh, um, parties can you know, answer a set of questions, and then the, the 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 web module comes with a verdict whether or not there is a risk that the relationship is either employment or uh, that of an indep independent contractor. Hmm. So, and it will be it will be it will be very uh, it will be very. Curious to see if that helps uh, solve the the, you know, the basic problem of the, the problem how to distinguish between the two. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating, Lucas, because there's parallels with what's happening in the UK at the moment with a piece of legislation called IR35, which is is essentially legislation introduced to capture tax parallels between what, what you yep. mentioned there and IR35 in the UK, but it's been a really problematic piece of legislation to introduce because it puts the responsibility on the end user in the UK. Yeah. And the, the end users haven't had a clue um, to how to actually determine that. And yep. the government have put like um, a tool 
on uh, on the tax authority's website, but they will not even stand over the results of the tool. So it's be, it's become really uncertain over here. And the other problem that 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 it's created is that um, if a worker is deemed as inside IRS 35, they they are now paying tax at source, but they don't have any employment rights to go with that. So essentially, yeah. they, they've they, they've been taxed, but without any representation or rights. Yeah. Um, is is that something that the Netherlands authorities are are considering? Is it is it something similar? Will the decision um, making responsibility be with the end user um, of the of the independent contractor or through the tax authorities? Yeah, no, the the um, responsibility will primarily rest at the the party that engages the contractor. Uh, but th there also lies the problem. Therein also lies the problem, and it was, was basically also the same with the, the uh, DBA Act. Um, the, the program doesn't give you a, a guarantee or a warranty that uh, once you fill it in, you can be certain on how it will be treated for tax purposes. So there will, in my opinion, as long as this, this certainty isn't uh, issued, there will still be. A lot of uncertainty and doubt uh, on 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 yeah on whether or not uh, there is still a big liability for taxes. Yes. Um, but if you look at it from the perspective of of, of the of the contractor um, in the Netherlands, how it works: it once you have to pay uh, a wage tax and, and social premiums, you will be insured for 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 example in employment benefits or, or sick pay. So that that I guess is is a good thing. But but you know as if you if you look at the income structure, if you would have to, have to apply retroactively wage taxes to your uh, to your income, for example, that that is of course a very big uh, liability. So and the, in the end, uh, this will also affect, of course, the end users because the, of those costs those costs will at some in some way uh, find their way to the end users as well. Um, so yeah, in 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 essence, it's it's all about taking away that uncertainty, and and the government and also market parties are are trying various approaches to that. But I, as of yet, I don't think that has has yet uh, been solved. Wow, Lucas, that's fascinating. If if I could ask a follow up question on that, so under the current uh, regime, which I I know is paused, does tax chain liability still exist? And what I mean by that is. Let's say um, a said said peer or independent or self-employed worker uh, cannot meet their taxation responsibilities. And uh, what happens then? Does the Dutch tax authorities then go back to the end user or the intermediary that engages the worker if it's not the end user? Yeah, no, primarily I would say it's in the Netherlands it's responsible responsibility of the intermediate or the the the, the company engaging the, the the freelancer, so the contracting party, um, to pay the wage taxes, and, and then if there's no recourse on on the independent contractor itself, then of course the company um, will have an issue there. Yes. Um, there, there are other topics that that are, are that relate to to this because if if once the the independent contract is actually deemed to be an employee, yes. um, then it, it could also be that this triggers some equal pay uh, rights, uh, for which also the intermediary, but but also the end user could be liable. Wow. So uh, yeah, that that it is very, and, and then you also understand why 
companies are very much keen to having certainty in that respect because the, the, the effects or the consequences can be high, especially if you hire a, a large number of uh, independent contractors. Yeah, I, I can see the potential problem and, and the huge potential risk there. And mm -hmm. um, we spoke about equal pay, uh, Lucas, and I, I just want to delve into something related to that in a bit more detail, if I may. So um, we, we've discussed many times, Lucas, but for the benefits of our listeners, the WAB legislation that came into effect um, on January the 1st, 2020 in the Netherlands. Um, firstly, do you think that legislation is a good thing? <laughs> and then... Well, yeah, <laughs> if, you, if you look at it from a perspective of, of, of a payroll company, it was basically acting as a temp agency and thereby making use of the very flexible temp agency system in the Netherlands. I think it's a it's a bad development. Yeah. But if you look at it from the perspective of, of, of the, the employees or workers in, uh, in concerned, um, I, I guess it's uh, it's a very good development because it's, it, it makes their work in that sense, a little bit less flexible, meaning that they have more job certainty and also uh, guarantees that their their equal pay um, uh, is is uh, is applied. So that, I guess in that sense, it's, it's a, uh, a good good change. Yes. Well, but, but of course, in the end, it always depends on the eye of the beholder, right? Yes, this is true. And, and my next question, Lucas, relates to that. So in your experience, um, what, what has been the difficulties for companies um, implementing this legislative change? Because um, a, lot of, a lot of listeners internationally, Lucas, might not fully be aware of this legislation mm -hmm. and things like the transition payment and, you know, how to account for that. So if you could just explain a bit about how, why, what, what the legislation is, uh, Lucas, but also what have, what are the difficulties for for organisations um, that have had to implement as changes around the around this legislation? Yeah, so uh, what, one of the, the, the big topics of the WAB legislation is that it, it it introduced a distinction between a payroll company and a, a temporary agency uh, um, provider. Um, that distinction didn't exist before, and you and all both payroll companies and temporary agency companies made made use of the flexible system in the Netherlands um, as regards to the number of employment agreements you could uh, offer um, a, an employee or a worker before it, it would become a, an indefinite term contract, uh, and also um, the the flexibility that the the temporary agency system offered. Um, where you could, could for a period of up to one and a half years, you could uh, immediately terminate the employment uh, agreement if the um, engagement of the end user uh, ended. Um, I think that, and that is what's, what a lot of payroll companies basically did. Uh, the employer, or actually the company where the, the worker would actually be working, would find an employee and then uh, um, tell the tell the employee go please go to the the payroll company you'll get a contract there uh, and then the payroll company could make use of that flexible flexible system yes so that that created a very very large amount of 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 workers w working through this uh, flexible system where they could have a lot of uh, short-term contracts uh, in a row and they could have a very large uh, uh, job uncertainty uh, and the government, they changed it by introducing the so-called um, allocation requirement, 
And you, so that, may, that means you can only make use of this flexible system um, if, if you as a temporary agency company actually are active on finding uh, uh, workers for specific um, job requests uh, at, at customers and users and you bring together this 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 offer of employment on the one hand and the, the need for employment on the other um so and but of course the difficulty is that the system was was uh, based on the on the on the old uh, um, um system where you where that requirement was not not available so um, suddenly, a lot of companies, especially payroll companies, and they couldn't apply their business model anymore. But that, of course, also meant for for basically the end users uh, that they would have to find uh, alternatives, and that the costs uh, would rise. And and at at some points, sometimes they even would have to make it a, a decision. Well, maybe it's better to hire those people directly because it doesn't really make sense anymore to to you know, to hire them without being able to apply that flexible system. Well, and Lucas, I, I, it leads nicely on to the, the, the next question. Mm -hmm. But before I, I move on to the next question, Lucas, um, the transition payment um, gets a lot of attention and publicity. Uh, yeah. when, we, when we speak to you know, clients that need our advice that are moving into Netherlands for the first time, it, I, I think it's fair to say it blows their mind that <laughs> yeah. essentially temporary workers um, get a payment for finishing a contract. Could you just yeah. explain uh, for our listeners internationally um, just a bit more about the transition payment and, and what, what yeah. yeah, of course. I, th I think there are, also, there are more aspects of Dutch employment law that blows people's minds from abroad. <laughs> uh, if, For example, we talk about works councils uh, with the American custom, US customers. It's, a, it's also a very uh, interesting topic. Now, but as particularly or specifically uh, with respect to the transition payment, it is basically a statutory severance payment that accrues uh, simply depending on the, the term of your, your employment. Um, so it would also apply to definite uh, term contracts um, or, or independent term contracts. It doesn't matter. Uh, you simply have to. It's, you simply accrue a certain severance uh, depending uh, on, on your years of service, and it's built up um, very simply. Um, it's it's one third of a month's salary, and a month's salary includes also other elements such as an average bonus or, or holiday pay. Uh, per year of work. So if you have worked for, um, for example, one year, you, have, uh, uh, the, you are tied to one third of a month's salary. Um, that, that includes a, a couple of elements. So that, that basically is what the, the transition payment is. Um, and it's, it's always also at the starting point in any settlement discussion. Um, but yeah, it, so it introduces a, a certainty for employees on, on being entitled to a severance. However, I do have to note it does not. You're not entitled to that severance um, if you, if the employee is the one that terminates the employment agreement. It's only if, if the employer takes the initiative. Understood. And look, it's just on that. Um, let's say the the contract ends by natural expiry. So work mm -hmm. contracted for one year period. Um, she's not, or he is not uh, renewed, and the contract ends by natural effect. Is is the transition payment? payable in that case also? Yes, and of course it, it wouldn't be uh, the Dutch uh, system if they would have haven't also, also thought about that situation. There's actually an obligation for the employer to, to notify the employee whether or not the employment agreement will be extended oh. and on what terms. 
Um, and this notification requirement uh, has to be fulfilled um, at least one month in advance of, of, of the end date. And if you do not uh, fulfill, if you do not inform the employee in writing whether or not the employment agreement will be continued, you will, you will incur penalty penalty of uh, one month salary, uh, or if you do it two, two weeks in advance instead of a month, it's two weeks penalty. Um, so uh, once you have informed the employee that you will not, will not be extending the definite term contract, the temporary contract, then uh, automatically the uh, uh, transition payment will become due. My word. So there's potentially two payments there. there there's there's yeah. certainly one payment, and if you get it wrong, there's two payments. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it it can also lead to very, um, you know, uh, unreasonable situations where a lot of employers now include in the definite term in the contracts themselves, the temporary contracts, that uh, the written uh, sentence that we hereby notify you that the contract will not be extended. Which which will which means you, you comply with that notification requirement. But however, if you change your mind uh, as an employer, and then two weeks in advance you say, "Well, you've been doing such a great job, <laughs> we, we want to offer you uh, 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 an employment agreement," still, uh, then in, in in principle you have, would have incurred that two two uh, week penalty in that in that example. Uh, yeah, because it's it's actually set up that way. It's yeah. It's um, it's and it also you see that courts even uh, I mean you, you you could think well in, in that case you know you've offered the employee employment it's not reasonable but they're very strict in uh, applying that uh, rule. Wow, Lucas, I, I I can see why employment law in Netherlands was attractive to you because you, you get to solve uh, some pretty complex yeah. problems and I think I think what you've just said there will be so helpful for any of our listeners that uh, are thinking about Netherlands or are uh, setting up in Netherlands, uh, really helpful. So I think I know the answer to the next question, Lucas, but I'm going to ask it anyway, right? Um, because it's important. Given the legislative changes that we've discussed thus far, um, the WAB, the FET Act, um, would you still describe the Netherlands as a flexible labor market? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. I, I would say that the Dutch labor market has two sides. One one side is very heavily regulated and it, it provides for a lot of protection for, for employees, especially, uh, and we haven't uh, uh, talked about the subject of, for example, dismissal law, but it's, it's yeah. very uh, protective of, of employees. On the other hand, there is a bit of a, a gray area, which, which in part has been uh, is contributed to by the development such as the gig economy, but also the, the flexibility uh, that, uh, that that is allowed on, on basically the outer rims of the employment market. Um, however, that 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 outer rim, if, if that is the correct way to describe it, has become a focus target for 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 politics and and the government as well. And and the, the WAB legislation is an example of that. So it's it it is becoming less flexible. And I guess the idea is to to bring it uh, to the to the middle. Um, however, on the heavily regulated side, uh, there have not been so many uh, changes that bring that side of the market also to the middle. So it is flexible, and there are still a lot of possibilities. Also, for example, with with freelancers, etc. But there it, there are some clouds gathering on the horizon, uh, which you know at least make it very important to. To get really well educated uh, on that, if you uh, if you move your company to the Netherlands and you have ideas about 
making use of, of that flexible uh, system. Yes, indeed. I mean, yeah, Lucas, I, I, it's it's such a it's such a fascinating topic what you've mm -hmm. just outlined there. And I mean, just just moving into a bit more detail, Lucas, if we can, in relation to Netherlands. So you you mentioned the Works Council. So for for some of our international listeners in Germany and Poland, they'll they'll get that straight away. But I'm mm -hmm. thinking of our listeners perhaps in the likes of UK or Ireland or United States. What, what, what is the Works Council? What's collective bargaining? And um, so there's going to be three questions here. And the third mm -hmm. question is, do the Work Council have a say on whether freelancers or independent contractors can, can work in a particular co uh, company? But uh, let's look at Works Council. Yeah. First yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah, the Works Council is basically um, um, uh, say it's, it's, it's an elected uh, part of, of the company where in which, uh, well, the, the basically the, the managing director or somebody on behalf of the employer takes seat and, uh, and then there's a, a bunch of employees from different uh, sections of, of sections of the company. Um, the Works Council has, uh, based on the Dutch Works Councils Act, um, has a certain rights that, that can go quite far. Um, in, in principle, they've, they've, there are two types of influence they can they can enact on the company. The first is there is a, a set number of decisions made by the company on which the Works Council uh, works council's advice will need to be sought. Um, a very a good example: if if you want to buy or sell off part of your business, or if, if you want to acquire a new business, this is something you will need to require the works councils, uh, the works council to advise on. And they have quite far far stretching uh, rights as regards, for example, to information and, and the time they can take to do that. Um, and, and the implications, implement, uh, the implications if you don't comply with that can be quite uh, severe. There's a, an example uh, in, in quite recent Dutch case law uh, where a, um, a large um, US company tried to acquire uh, a software business um, in the Netherlands um, and and um, they did involve the Works Council but they, they didn't really do it properly yeah. and they moved ahead with the transaction anyway. Um, and, and and this became a, a big uh, fight between the Works Council and, and the, the company involved, um, actually ending up at the uh, the Dutch Enterprise Court. Uh, in the decision, uh, the Dutch Enterprise Court found that the, the whole process was really uh, not as, had, uh, as as it should have been, and even ordered the transaction to be reversed. So you, you can imagine the the it's only an example there, there there's a variety of sanctions or, or implications if you don't follow a correct works council process but it it, it can be a very very significant uh, have a very significant impact on on your on your business or on the decisions you make yeah. uh, and that that's also only just the, the first example that's the, the the advisory right the works council ha has in, in, in a variety of, of, of matters uh, the second is that the, their their acceptance um, of of certain decisions is could be required, but those mainly relate to, um, for example, changing the working hours or other employment related uh, uh, decisions, uh, where, where not only their advice is needed, but you would, would actually need their consent, and without that consent, you would not be able to implement uh, that decision. 
So the Works Council has a, a, a very plays a very significant role uh, in Dutch companies if it is established. Uh, Works Council needs to be established by law uh, if your company company has 50 or more people on average, okay. uh, 50 or more uh, uh, employees. I mean, um, it, it is ob ob obliged uh, obligated to install Works Council. However. Uh, it, there's no sanction if you don't have one. It, it only becomes a problem if employees actually start to request for uh, the installment of a works council, then you actually will need to do it or they would be able to um, enforce that uh, in front of uh, court. So, you know, if, if you are talking about um, customers from, from abroad, the US uh, uh, or, or the United States companies, the fact that the works council can actually significantly meddle in your day-to-day -day business decisions uh, and it is actually a force that you will need to uh, uh, listen to and to involve in that process can be quite a shock <laughs> that's at least that's been my experience <laughs> i can see why uh, uh, and it, it probably does impact on the flexibility of organizations to do certain things um lucas mm -hmm. uh, as you mentioned um well, it's 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 much more, now that we're starting to peel back the layers of the onion, it becomes even more complex. Thing, yeah. The, the, yeah. the labor law, employment law uh, framework in 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 Netherlands. Um, Lucas, Lucas, and Lucas, does the Works Council have a say in hiring in your organisation? So, do you have to consult the Works Council if you want to hire, you know, ten new software developers as an employee or as a freelancer? No, they, they don't have a, have a say in that. Um, um, it, if you make a decision to, to cut the jobs of 10 uh, um, uh, employees, that could, could be uh, the case. But in basically in hiring policy, they don't, don't have a say. It's also not that they have a, an actual say in actual day-to-day -day business decisions, or, but they only have, a, have them on a, a significant number of, of a limited number of, of topics. And also if, if the decision is important enough. So. Uh, typically, I would say if you if if, if you decide to hire uh, people, that's not something the Works Council is involved in now. Okay, that that that's good. I think a lot yeah. of our listeners uh, will appreciate that sentiment, Lucas. So um, it does give them some flexibility in 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 regards to hiring, which is great. So yeah, Lucas, I'm I'm not sure if you're familiar with this term, but uh, if you had the ability to uh, create magic with a magic wand, uh, what what employment law would you like to either change, fix, or amend, or remove? Is there any particular employment law that, that you find annoying, problematic, that, yeah. you would, that you would like to fix it, or just remove it entirely? Yeah, I guess I guess there are two, there are two things that would, would come to mind there. The first is, and then we're moving into the, the Dutch dismissal uh, law system, that it, it can be frustratingly difficult to terminate the position of an employee that is uh, not functioning properly. Um, if before you, uh, you can actually unilaterally move into terminating someone, you need to have a very extensive file on, on them on the performance and also demonstrating that as an employer, you have done everything in your power to to uh, make the employee improve uh, and, and that they've been giving uh, significant chances to do so and being provided all the help and even then it's a very difficult uh, ground for termination so if you would ask me if I would have a magic wand I would make that process much more simple um, 
and and in that sense flexible and giving employers a little bit more power to to determine whether or not uh, you know an employee is not functioning so that that might need to be leading to the end of the employment agreement so that would be the first and the second i guess is um uh, what we're talking about before the difference between an employee and a, a, a independent contractor I, I would put my magic wand it's do legislation uh, making that distinction a lot more a lot more easy uh, to be made uh, and providing certainty for for you know our clients and, and companies but also for the workers uh, involved yeah I I, I I i like where you're going lucas and i, li I like the impact of your magic wand so lucas, yeah. If I can just ask a question um, relating to the dismissal, is there something called gross dis gross misconduct in Netherlands or similar? And if I can explain by way of example, so mm. let's say an employee, uh, this sounds a horrific example, uh, and you know killed their colleague beside them, right? Would, yeah. would, would there be grounds for immediate termination termination for those extreme events that? Are just so unconscionable that the worker needs to be dismissed immediately. Is there is there sufficient ground? Yeah. No. No. We, no. We we only have uh, a decent employees in Netherlands, so it doesn't exist. No. Of course, it's uh, it is also a, a, a topic that is uh, very much uh, present in Dutch employment law. We call it um, well this, this type of behavior. Um, we we call it. Uh, Behavior at least to an urgent cause for termination, uh, and it can encompass a lot, a variety of of of, of acts or omissions of the employee, which are considered of such a uh, damaging or or uh, a negative or, or a culpable nature that the immediate termination of the employment agreement is necessary. Okay. Um, yeah. So we we have that in place. Yes. Okay. That that's good. So there there is a bit more flexibility as you as you go towards the upper scale of employee bad yeah. okay yeah. the threshold the threshold is high but once you get there it's it, it is fairly simple then you you can as an employer just state uh, uh you're fired um and and that's it and they can contest it of course in court but that in principle once you've reached that threshold of, of culpable uh or, and or willful misconduct um uh, yeah then it's fairly uh, straightforward I understand. And Lucas, like you, and uh, we work with a lot of um, USA headquartered companies where the, I suppose, labor market is, is completely flexible in terms of the employees tend to have limited uh, yeah. rights and the employer has maximum um, force whereby they can almost terminate employment at will in, yeah. in cases subject to a contractual provision to suggest otherwise. And um, it often, to use that phrase I used earlier, it blows their, their minds <laughs> when yeah. when they come to set up business, not just in Netherlands, but even in UK or Ireland or Poland or Germany. Um, I, I, is that something that you find that 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 US companies in particular struggle um, yeah. with the legal environment in Netherlands? Yeah, very very much so. And maybe also not not only U.S. companies, but in particular U.S. companies because of their their uh, employment law system, as you said, employment at will that applies in, in many states. But um, yeah, the, one of the most difficult things is also for me as, as as an advisor, as a lawyer, to tell the CEO of an if a U.S.-based company that he that he cannot fire an employee, which has been not. Uh, 
acting uh, in accordance with what he expects of the employee or that doesn't mean performing. So, um, and I guess that is, that's also a reason why there are quite a lot of uh, Dutch employment lawyers. Uh, the trick then is, of course, not 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 to just simply look at what what the law states, but to find a a solution nonetheless. And um, and and that is why in the Netherlands, there's in these kind of employment related discussions, the especially of course companies from from abroad, but they uh, that are less acquainted with the Dutch system, they they involve a lawyer to to find a way to navigate through that process because it's it can be very uh, difficult. Um, yeah, if if you are not sensitive to those um, um, yeah, to, to the system, yeah. Yeah, and look, if we if we can look, we, we're going to look towards uh, the future here. So we're going to move from magic wands to the crystal balls, and uh, we, we it's only your opinion. We don't ask you to predict the future, but if we look, for example, at the trend for remote working. Um, the first question is, do you think remote working is here to stay even once the pandemic goes away? That's yeah, the, yeah, 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 def I, de I definitely do think that also when I look into in my own firm, um, I can't really see everybody going back full time five days a week to the office anymore. Uh, I mean, uh, for in, in some business businesses, um, even like working from home was frowned upon. Um, People consider it something, you know, that that is, you know, you, you you can't really see if an employee is functioning well. You're missing out of the social uh, contact. Uh, but I guess all that has changed. We have been forced to to accept that change. But everybody now sees that it is actually, um, well, of course, depending on the nature of your work. But in in, in many services industries, for example, it's a, it's a very uh, workable situation. So I believe, yes, there will there will will never go back to. to to, uh, as it was before in that sense um, and and in the Netherlands particularly there's also there there's also some um, legislative changes that are on the horizon they need yet to be um, uh, implemented but um, it will become very much more difficult will likely become very much more difficult also by law for companies to refuse employees to work at least part of their time uh, from home and yeah. Lucas, just I note in, in Ireland, um, the, the Irish government have recently introduced legislation with which will allow employees the right, the automatic right to work from home, right, or work remotely. That's number mm -hmm. one. Number two, they will also have the right to disconnect um, yeah. after hours. Is there anything like that um, on the table from the Dutch government in terms of legislation? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't call it an automatic right, to do, uh, at least as regards to working from home. But and the current, currently, as an employer, you can uh, you, you can say no. You can say, "Well, no, I need you to come to work." Uh, of course, during the pandemic, that is uh, uh, obviously not not really uh, the case. But even in, there are some instances where uh, employees refuse to come to work. Uh, because they were afraid of being infected with with with, uh, with COVID, and then even even then the court said, "Well, no, your your fear is um, unrealistic or it's it's unnecessary, and you know the employer has a right to request you to be at work." So that that will that will probably change, and or not that will li in all likelihood change, and uh, meaning that the employer would have to bring forth really good arguments um, why an employee cannot work uh, from home. Yeah. Uh, for example, in, certain, in some professions, of course, it's, it's fairly obvious. If you are a doctor, you can't work from home. 
but but in, in a lot of uh, companies that is of course not not the case and then it will become um, basically a right of the employee interesting and lucas is there any do do you foresee or have you seen any legal issues around remote working let's say for example health and safety so are employers in the netherlands obligated to provide workstations for people at home or a certain health and safety environment yeah i mean and i've i've been encountering those questions quite a lot recently as you might might be able to imagine um uh, i mean there is a general obligation for the employer to ensure that the employee has a safe working a safe and healthy working environment um and that also means that if the employee employee is starts to work from home uh that the employer of course within reasonable limits it can be expected of the employer to ensure that the working uh, uh, space working uh, setup meets those requirements um <clears throat> so the, the the current legislation is not entirely uh, uh accommodated for 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 that particular subject but i guess that will also be one of the the, the, the topics that will evolve um but yeah uh, even uh, at home the employer has that responsibility uh, and as an employee you can expect your employer uh, to to accommodate interesting and um lucas we, we've got a couple of questions before we finish up and uh this one, the, the two final questions are quite general. Um, mm-hmm. but in your opinion, Lucas, do you think the the trend for freelancing will will continue to grow in the Netherlands? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good question. Um, what I've also seen, I, I guess, in the United States and uh, maybe also in the UK, particularly we're talking to gig economy, that it was seen as a big disruptive force um but still i think the most people are not employed via via for example a gig uh, economy platform um so i be really curious to see how that trend will develop in Netherlands. Maybe, maybe it will also stagnate in that sense but if you talk about freelancing freelancing itself uh, uh, regardless of whether it's done via a gig uh, economy platform uh, i think it will depend heavily on on how well the the, the government will be able to Come come up with an acceptable form of regulating that part of the market, yeah. um, but perhaps even also the fact that people are working more from home might even contribute to uh, to uh, that the, the number of freelancers will increase because you know people get detached a little bit from their from their uh, companies that they're working for. Um, if, even if you look at my work and I've been you know working uh, from home quite uh, quite a lot. Uh, you, you almost feel like a freelancer with your laptop and, and a coffee. <laughs> so maybe if we talk about it again in five years, we're all we're all some type of freelancer. I don't know, but I, I think uh, freelancers themselves, I, I guess, that will uh, continue to grow or at least not um, be downsized uh, uh, significantly as long as the legislation allows for uh, you know for for that, for that uh, and that there's no significant. Uh, uh, increase of risks in that, respect, in that respect that we talked uh, talked about before. Yeah, I, th- I think it's that balancing act between risk, choice, rights, bargaining, no bargaining. Yeah. Um, and and I, I don't think any government has 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 really cracked the code, Lucas, to solve no. the problem yet. It's it's so it's so patchwork and piecemeal, and yeah. it's really difficult to. I suppose, yeah. Well, 
One thing I think we sorry to interrupt you. One thing I think we didn't discuss also before. There, there's a, there's a, a couple of things also the Dutch government was trying to assess whether it's possible to, for for example, um, make it mandatory for for freelancers to have them to insured for for um, uh, employment disability uh, and and similar topics. But it's 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 fairly difficult to balance. You know, on the one hand, the freedom that you have as an entrepreneur and regulating the market as if you were know a worker that needs protection and and that um yeah provides some pretty interesting uh um you know grounds for discussion which it shows is not easily solved so that's uh, it would continue to be quite interesting uh, and but hopefully we'll be able to um, you know to accommodate at least uh, that we will have some certainty in that respect I, I agree, Lucas. I think it's a it's what I would describe as a as a high class uh, problem to solve. Yeah. But but I think my fundamental concern around the growth of freelancing, the mm -hmm. growth of platform or gig economy uh, companies, is is around putting sufficient protection in place for workers that don't have that choice, that don't yeah. have the bargaining power. I think if we, as as uh, as advisors, as advocates, as as commentators and and practitioners in this space, if we can create the the right regulations for those workers to give them some protection, mm -hmm. I think that would be a good thing. Yeah. Whilst affording the higher paid knowledge type workers to have that choice, because ultimately, until the machines replace those knowledge workers, <laughs> they've got. Yeah. Exactly, I, I totally agree. And also, uh, you would want to prevent, uh, at least I would want to prevent, you have a society which has on the one hand, uh, the, work, the people who are working uh, and are not insured and are you know, living a, a really low paid and high risk uh, uh, life in that sense. And on the other hand, you have people who do have others benefits and you, and you need to ensure that, that the, of course, that the gap between those two groups uh, doesn't increase. Um, that's not, I guess, for me, the society I would want to live in. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I believe it's also possible to retain the competitive uh, position of the companies who are engaging in all these new technologies and, and finding new ways of employment and still retaining you know, the rights and uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the rights and certainties for, for the workers involved. Yeah. Uh, that, that should be, you know, uh, in my opinion, that should be a goal also for for governments, but also for companies themselves who have a responsibility in that as well to to achieve that. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree with you, Lucas, and I think that's a a, a really nice way to finish. And I, I I've been thinking about this a lot, Lucas, about um, platform companies um, that engage delivery drivers, couriers um, to provide food services or transportation services. And, and I was thinking what the pandemic, uh, coronavirus pandemic has generally done in Western economies is cr increased demand for those services because people either can't leave their home uh, for, for quarantine or legal reasons, or they don't want to out of fear, right? And yeah. my guess is that, that people would be prepared to pay more for those services um, now that we have come to rely upon those services. And if people are prepared to pay more for those services, then surely now is the time to make those workers employees or the closest thing that <laughs> that can be considered as employees. And I don't think people would be, would mind paying more for that service. That's my own personal view. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and, and in that sense, I do, I do think it would help. 
uh, that the companies that would not uh, adhere to that uh, those uh, standards have an uh, have a competitive edge. So I think that is the the role for the government to ensure that it becomes a level playing field where the starting point is. Um, that these uh, workers have uh, indeed those uh, uh, benefits and, and, and rights. Uh, and, and it's also the thing of what you're used to. If you're used to your, your Uber ride uh, costing six euro or eight euro, it's uh, I think if you uh, if you get accustomed to it, it's something you will take for granted at a certain point as well. Yeah, I, I agree. And Lucas, you've been an amazing guest. But And finally, Lucas, again, a general question, but just through your crystal ball, do you have any predictions for the future of work? You mean like in the, the general uh, yeah. direction of, of, of where the, the employment, the staff in business will go to or the... Um, I mean, it, it could be anything, you know, do you think automation will be responsible for job displacement? Do you think remote working is the future? Do you think... Um, do you think uh, a universal basic income is something that might come along to uh, further down the line? Any predictions? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I guess in, 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 my prediction is that uh, we'll have having a more, in that sense, flexible work environment where you you work remotely and and, and maybe also uh, in, at least in some parts of the business with a high involvement of technology, for example, algorithms uh, uh, and, and similar, uh, you know, technolo technological uh, and developments. Um, yeah, but for, for the rest, it's uh, for me, it's a, a bit of a question mark, but I, but I do I do think that I, I'm at least confident that uh, we will find a way to accommodate for all these new developments in, in a system where we will be able to guarantee certain rights, whether that will be via a universal income or, or minimum uh, wages for, for independent contractors or um, um, oblig ob obligatory uh, insurances for, for, for independent contractors. I think we'll, we'll, we'll find a way. Uh, everybody is thinking really hard on how to, uh, to accommodate in the, you know, for, the, for the future in that sense. Um, yeah, and, and I guess there's a task for, for all parties involved to make that happen, but I, I'm, I'm fairly certain uh, we we will. Wow, what 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 a what a lovely way to, to close out the podcast, then, um, Lucas. And Lucas, I, I thank you so much for for joining the podcast today. I think anyone who's tuning in and listening will have learned a lot around uh, the Netherlands uh, legal framework and how to engage employees and how to engage uh, freelancers and just to be aware of the the risk the risk regime there. So. It's, it's been so helpful and so welcome. So thank you, Lucas. And Lucas, where can our listeners find you? Are you on LinkedIn? Um, are you on Twitter? Where, where's the best place to get in touch with you, Lucas, if uh, any of our listeners need legal advice um, in the Netherlands? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you, Connor. It was really a pleasure um, being on, on this podcast with you. I guess um, there's a lot of talk, lot to talk about that we can even spend hours uh, more if, if we would want. So but uh, really happy about that. And thank you uh, for thinking of me in that sense. Uh, people can find me on on, on LinkedIn. Uh, that's that's the easiest uh, way I, I would say. And of course, uh, if you Google my name on internet, you will find our company's my firm's website um, with all my contact details. So um, I'm I'm, f I'm fairly well uh, reachable in that sense. Wonderful. Well, Lucas, thanks again. And and for our listeners. Um, you can find us on the Open Talent Resource or on the Open Talent Report. So, Lucas, thanks again and all the best. Thank you.